0: Welcome to the Inspired by To Do What series of podcasts, part of the Robertson Fox brand of leadership. The executive coaching and leadership development company that helps people live their best lives, and not exclusively in their professional careers. CEOs have a whole life too. Here is your host, founder and leadership director of Robertson Fox Limited, Robin Robertson. So how- Hi, I'm Robin, and today I'm delighted to have Andy Russell on the show, and uh, Andy is a really interesting guy, so I'm very much looking forward to hear what, hearing what he's got to say on some of the subjects that I'm curious about today. Um, mm. So what do I know about Andy so far? Um, he's the CEO of Perfect Home, uh, husband and father to a twenty one year old son, um, born in the Northwest, and I'd be curious to know why he then migrated to North Wales. Uh, or why indeed is a Welsh rugby fan, um, and also a DIY enthusiast. So, um, yeah, no, so welcome, Andy, really good to have you on the show.
1: Thank you very much, Robin. Um, interesting. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I've got something I've got to live up to now then, haven't
0: I? Yeah, there you go, no pressure <laughs> at all. So, um well, I mean, we have had some really enjoyable conversations so far. So um, there are a few topics that I thought would be really interesting to explore because I think some of your fellow CEOs might find them relatable and interesting. Um, but I thought it'd be a good place to start if you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how you came to be the CEO of Perfect Home.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you've already given sort of the, the high-level overview of sort of home life with a 21-year-old son, uh, husband and I suppose the bit you missed out from the home life is that, you know, we live in the middle of rural North Wales, which you did pick up. Uh, we do have some sheep. We have a peacock. <laughs> we have a sheep dog. We have several peacock. cats. Yeah, we have a peacock. Okay. Uh, and, uh, for my internal work podcasts, uh, we've now named him as Grumpy the peacock because actually that suits his temperament extremely well at the moment. Um, and, You know, at the end of the day, living in North Wales is fantastic. I love it. You know, I commute to work, you know, on a regular basis, Uh, lived here since I was three years old, primarily, other than moving around the UK with work occasionally to various other counties And, and just picking up on your, your Northwest versus North Wales bit, first of all. So I was actually born literally in the Wirral. That uh, My parents lived there for a couple of years and decided that, that life, which is where most of my family live, in, in fact, in North Wales, so we sort of migrated across the border. And I suppose because I had a Welsh education, so I can speak Welsh uh, fluently, um, I was always, I suppose, tied into the Welsh rugby team. Okay. Uh, always have been, always will be. The difficulty comes is actually when I'm, I suppose, Wales and England are playing. So yeah. my son was actually born in England and inevitably he will shout for them even if it was, I don't know, they were plenty of else. He'll shout for England just to annoy me more than anything else. <laughs> but there we go.
0: That's, That's a band-y. <laughs>
1: <laughs> So I met my wife while well, we're both working for a hotel. Uh, so we've been married now. It'll be 25 years actually coming up uh, next year. Uh, when we got together, my wife was actually ran a trout farm with her father. So... That's a unusual
0: career, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and then she worked sort of evenings and daytimes at the hotel to try and sort of, you know, help subsidise the trout farm. And when we started going out properly, the first job I got was she handed me a carrier bag full of papers and said, can you do me a favour? And said, yeah, more than happy to do that. Well, I've been doing the VAT returns for a while, she says, but I'm not sure they're quite right. So she handed me this paper and I'm looking, love is. It has to be love is. To do this when you're not even engaged or anything else. So that was my introduction to my wife in reality.
0: That's uh, how you knew she was a keeper, is it? <laughs> <yeah.
1: laughs> Prepare to do her batterns. <laughs> exactly. So then, you know, we we then ran the trout farm ourselves for a period of time. Uh we also bought a pub, uh, which is our local pub, which is uh probably half a mile down the road so that's local for us here uh, we've that uh, so we still still own the building so yeah. it stopped trading as a pub probably a year ago and my wife now runs it as a coffee shop um. uh, well a licensed coffee shop so we still do sell alcohol there <laughs> yeah. has its plus sides yeah. Uh, so, from a career perspective, I spent 25 years in financial services, working for mainstream banks, working for you know building societies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And <clears throat> I joined Perfect Home in June, July 2018, when our current owners took ownership of the business. I started there on a contract for a couple of months, sort of helping them out to sort of you know look through the business and you know providing some input to the management team there and then I was offered the CEO role of the business in September 2018. Uh, So I've been there now for just under two years and helping really to transform the business from I suppose what it was then to to where we are today.
0: Yeah, no, that's great and that does lead me on to one of the questions I wanted to ask you actually because when you joined Perf at Home, is it right that um, it was mainly a high street retailer? or you had quite a lot of shops, didn't you? Um, I, and you've transformed that into a fully online business. So just be curious to know, it sounds like a, a big a big transition to make. So curious to know how you went about that
1: and why. Yeah, No, absolutely. I, I wish I could take credit for all of it, but I can't yeah. unfortunately. Uh, so, so when I joined, they'd already started the programme of closing the stores. So they had 70, 70 shops as it were, high street shops around the UK. And I think with the, the pressures on the high street, with the regulatory pressures, because we're an FCA-regulated organisation, uh, we have to sell, as you would do you know, in any business, we have to sell appropriately, and I think when you're trying to manage what people in 70 shops are trying to say and selling financial services to customers, it's very difficult. So they'd started the journey of effectively migrating to an online business um, before I joined, the website had been set up and they had started noticing that more of their sales were coming through the website than they way through the shops. So they then started migrating uh, through to a, a funny online business. Uh, fortunately, I think when I actually joined itself, there were very few shops that were open. So as I say, I can't really take the credit for all of it, but to move from a store based business to a centralized one is very difficult. Yes. Uh, you know, not only does it have you know a huge amount of heartache in terms of colleagues that you have to say goodbye to, uh, but it's also a very different operating model in terms of how you market it, in terms of you know everything that you have to do in reality. Um, so, I think it's fair to say that we centralised the business, not necessarily digitalized it, right?
0: Uh,
1: and that's the journey that we've been on since the last two years that I've been there is actually truly creating a digital business as opposed to being one that is just purely centralized with a web web front end to it um it's a constant journey of evolution uh digitalization in reality you have to move forward to stand still particularly in the environment we're in now and i think you know a number of businesses as we've gone into the pandemic will realize that the opportunity to sell to people through the website where they don't have to visit a shop where they don't have to you know have that two meter distance in um is ideal for them and i think we'll see a lot more businesses actually moving into that you know in the coming months and years in reality
0: yes yeah i think um you know certainly um a lot of the trends that were starting have been accelerated haven't they as a result of us going into this crisis so you know anybody oh, that's- that was kind of thinking about it but hadn't got their act together is now gonna have to um get the program on there
1: <laughs> no abs- absolutely and you know even for us you know although we're an online business we still have call center staff working for us so we have you know number of people working in call centers and i think what the pandemic actually did if there's a positive side to it um actually enabled us for all of our staff to actually work from home yeah. now you know if i'd have gone back and said to our it team 12 months ago right in a week i want you to make sure that all of our teams can work from home that they can do everything they can do in the office from home I'd have either had something thrown at me, or the head of IT would have had a coronary. Um, So to actually enable them to do that within a week was just unbelievable. And we're now in the position whereby all of our team are actually working from home. Fantastic, absolutely fantastic.
0: So is it fair to say then that you haven't had to, you haven't really slowed down the business or or stopped the business in any way at all?
1: we did slow down if i'm honest for a few weeks because uh primarily the reason that so although we're a retail sales we actually do collections as a financial services business so the key concern for us is that the collections continued on a weekly basis into the business yeah and therefore we permanently slowed down the sales because i think a lot of the uk didn't know what the impact of the pandemic was going to be we didn't know what the impact on financials was going to be in terms of you know, customer's pockets as it were. So we did slow down for a few weeks, but since then, back as normal, no change whatsoever.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and I would imagine that, you know, the online piece um, is just, uh, you know, thriving. Um, you know, it you, given that people are looking for those easy options to make purchases as well. I mean,
1: you know, a, a sad fact for you, our website gets over 3 million visits a year. Wow. You know, absolutely. it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible, you know, uh, so demand is there. We can't always serve that demand every time, you know, because we have to be selective over the customers we choose for obvious reasons. Uh, but the reality is there's a huge volume of people still looking, at, looking at it every day. You know, it's incredible drive such opportunities for us in the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Which um, kind of leads me quite nicely onto one of my uh, other questions, which was around.
1: Have we rehearsed this, Robin?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wasn't intending to.
0: <laughs> no, I think we're just in sync, and in, in the term. <laughs> I, mean, well, I, I, I know that you um, target the, you, the lowest uh, demographic demographic customer base and I was quite uh, curious about you know what what was behind that decision given that I imagine anyway that that's going to have its challenges and its risks especially at the moment especially in the current climate
1: yeah it's an interesting one because you know if I look at our customer demographic which actually is has changed considerably over the last few years uh, we, we the way we see it is that we try to help those people that are underserved in the financial services marketplace right. So the customer base or demographic that we deal with couldn't go down to your high street bank and get a loan out demographic that we deal with don't have savings so if their fridge breaks down they don't have any savings whatsoever that they can go out and buy a replacement fridge like a number of us probably could do um, and therefore there is, there is no way they can go to actually get key household items just to actually function on a day-to-day basis. But having said that, uh, we do quite a few customer listening groups, focus groups, etc. and I attended one in Birmingham, Birmingham last year. And, you know, much the same as many people, I had preconceived ideas about what our customer demographic was. So I sat there. They didn't know who I was, and I just sat there listening to the conversation around the table mm-hmm. as it was going on. And I sat there and I thought, there was one lady there who was um, a director of a charity. Yeah. There was another individual there who was a project manager within Jaguar Land Rover. And a lot of people see that our demographic are those people who are purely unemployed or, or, or on benefits or whatever it might be. But they're not. Actually, half of the customers we deal with are actually employed in some shape or form. Right. But so so one example from that particular one was the the family had actually bought a house, renovated it, re-kitted out with new furniture, but didn't have quite enough money or savings to actually then go out and buy the fridge. So they came to us. Okay. So it's a very mixed demographic in terms of the people we work with. And then just picking up on your point about economic climate, the customers we deal with can budget better than most of us can particularly those that are on benefits so they're living that they know every week they get this amount which needs to pay for their food pay for their rent pay for their you know whatever else it might be on top of that they budget better than us and therefore are actually more resilient when it comes to times like this because they're doing it every day of every week yeah and it never changes for them so actually as we went into this pandemic or, or through the situation we're in now we were probably less concerned going forward because nothing changes for them. Absolutely nothing. That's Um, a pretty good point
0: because so many of us just live beyond our means, don't we? Yeah. And then, you know, there's a downturn and then it's, oh my God, you know, how am I going to pay for X, Y or Z? Whereas as you say, I hadn't thought of it that way.
1: Yeah, and not many people do, if I'm honest, not many people do think of it like that, but you know, a number of us actually, you know, if if we want something, we'll go out and buy it, or we'll finance it somehow. These people can't do that. They do that with us through for household goods, but for anything else, they don't go on holidays abroad. They don't, you know, do X, Y, Z. They. This is how they they fund their lives. It's, it's very very humbling actually to actually see how they do actually cope and manage on a day to day basis. Yeah,
0: and a big and a big part of uh, what you do is it's not just selling the the products, but it's also um, you provide the payment plans to help people um, yeah. meet meet the cost, don't you as well?
1: Yeah, we do. So we will sell a product, we provide, you know, insurance on the back of on the back of that for them. Uh, we service the product on their behalf as well at the same time if we need to uh, for for the weekly payment they make. So yeah, we're a one-stop shop for them out respect for some of the household goods that they have. Um, and as well as part of our business, we also <clears throat> we sell weekly broadband, we sell weekly paid energy services working with partners. and therefore what we're trying to do with our business is actually provide a whole range of services for our customer base or for the customer demographic we deal with that enables us to become a one-stop shop and actually therefore a trusted partner for them. You know, um, I only have to look at some of the the trust pilot reviews that we get, you know, which sometimes can be the bane of people's lives, if I'm honest. Mm. Um, but some of the feedback we've had is just, you know, incredible. And actually, we, we did an annual conference last April. We were due to do one this April, but unfortunately, things changed slightly. And and for that one, we videoed three customers who were providing their feedback on us as a business, so I could actually share it with the whole company.
0: Oh, All right, sounds good. And,
1: and, and some of the things that they said were just, you just sat back and you think, God, we actually do all of that stuff for our people. You know, we do this stuff for our customers, and they really value it. Yeah. You know, I, one lady. You know, I've got four. I had she had four children. Her washing machine broken down, and you can imagine for somebody with four children, washing machine is a necessity.
0: Yeah.
1: She said, if it hadn't been for you guys, she said, I phoned you up. She said, uh, no. She said, sorry. I originally went online, ordered the product, phoned you up the next day just to check on delivery, and then the following day I received the product. She said, that was a lifesaver for me. Yeah. She said, without that, it would have been an absolute nightmare for both me and my family as well. Yeah. So, it's just great to get feedback like that sometimes. We get negative as well, I'm not being, you know, we do get yeah. that, but, you know, it's mainly positive. That's good.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> everybody likes to feel that their work is meaningful and that, you know, that, you know, you read a story like that and you would think, yeah, my job has meaning, wouldn't you? If you worked in yeah. business.
1: Yeah. yeah. And the unfortunate thing is, you know, as as a business, as a sector, we get lots of negative feedback from the press, which you know inevitably happens. Um, but unfortunately, what they is don't talk is about. Sector, why? Why
0: is the sector?
1: We get criticised for the interest rates that we charge. Come okay. on. Right. Um, and we get, you know, a lot of criticism from, you know, talking about ripping off customers and all the rest of it. We don't do that if they actually spent a day, a, a true day, in the life of a true customer, they'd actually realise what support we do actually provide to people. Yeah. But unfortunately, some of the um, I red top newspapers mm-hmm. don't necessarily do that. They make mm-hmm. their own facts. Yeah.
0: That was very unprofessional. That was my reminder going off, um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: weirdly. I didn't even hear it. It's fine
0: figured out how to turn some notifications off and not others um what i mean what excites you most about your job currently
1: i mean it's difficult to say at the moment because i'm sat in front of a video screen every day what excites me about my job is actually the people yeah and actually being able to interact with the customers as well that just gives me such a buzz
0: yeah
1: um you know i as part of my day-to-day job, I, I try to spend a life in the day of what my people do and what my customer do. So inevitably, I'm either sitting in the call centre or I'm you know, going out with a delivery driver, wherever it might be, which allows me the opportunity to actually talk to customers, to talk to all the people in the organisation. And do you know what? They, they know the business better than I do, and therefore all the good ideas and stuff come from them. And it's just brilliant to actually be able to to listen to that, to be able to interact with them. You know, I'm not sure, well, at the end of the day, there's always an element of your job that you don't like. So I've got a board meeting coming up in a couple of days' time. Am I looking forward to it? Is it the highlight of my week? Probably not, (laughs) Um, but (laughs) it's it's, it's, it's part of life, but that, that doesn't detract from all the great stuff that goes on, you know, inside the business, you know, from a communication perspective over the last year we've done so much with people with competitions with you know so we we run an employee of the month program one of the options they've got as employee of the month is uh, as part of the winning prize is that they can spend a day in the life of one of the senior team so yeah. I've, had, I've had people who spend a day in the life with me
0: oh, I and i don't
1: change my diary just to fit because they're spending they, they sit in one-to-ones with my senior team They'll sit in executive meetings. They'll do whatever I do for that day. And it really gives people a good insight. And actually, I spend a day with them as well. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just good fun. I, ju- I just love yeah. it. Absolutely love it.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds fantastic. Um, and I bet it gives people a very different perspective on what the role of a CEO is as well. because um, I'm sure there be people who assume that, you know, at that, at that level, you know, you're kind of not doing a lot. Possibly.
1: Yeah, they're probably right actually. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) So,
0: um, I know that you've said in the past that you do quite a lot of work as a business to help the homeless. Um, Is that right? I'm just curious as to why that particular group and what that looks like.
1: Yeah, as a business, we we work with a lot of charities, you know, uh, homeless being one of them, so we do a lot of work with crisis uh we also do a lot of work with mental health charities as well because it's very dear to our hearts etc particularly both from a you know making sure that our people our teams are fine and also making sure that sort of customers you know understanding customers better the key thing for us is from a charitable perspective we, we we look at our own purpose for the business and our own values so our purpose you know on a daily basis is we make it possible for more people to create their perfect home whether that's our people internally or basically customers as well at the same time or the wider yeah. community. Yeah. Our values are that we make a difference, we work together, we find a way and we do the right thing and we live by those every day. So when we're selecting the charities that we work with, they have to be very close to our purpose and values as well as as well as being very close to what we do as a business.
0: Yeah,
1: And the reality is that we're all one step away from being homeless. Um, you know, as that's difficult like as that rules. might be, it, it is, absolutely is. You know, we could lose our job tomorrow. And if we're an individual that's, you know, as you alluded to before, we spend above our means. So yeah. we lose our job tomorrow, there's every chance we could lose our home, possibly. So, therefore, you know, from our perspective, and particularly knowing the customer demographic that we deal with, everybody is a step away, you know, from, from being homeless. And, you know, I've seen that firsthand with working with a crisis charity. So what we've done with crisis. So if I, if I step back to last Christmas as an example, we, we work with a crisis charity and what they try to do is rehome people. You know, yeah. some of the homeless people in fairness don't want to be rehomed. It's a choice for them. Yeah, might not be everybody's choice, but it's a choice for them. Some do actually want to be rehomed. So what we did for a number of families was actually provide them with household goods to actually furnish their first home again.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and we did that for a number of people, particularly in the run up to Christmas, which is a very difficult time for a number of people, um, a very testing time for a number of people. Yeah. So we provided their goods so they could move back into the home and actually have a Christmas in their own surroundings rather than actually you know, at a food point or in a hostel or wherever else it might be. And we don't hugely publicize what we do, if I'm honest. Um, you know, there's the occasional LinkedIn post about it, we don't hugely publicize it, but it's core to, to what our people, what our beliefs are, and what our purpose and values are within the business, which is why we do it.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds really interesting. Um, I like I like the way you you know you link the charities you support with what you value as a business and it, you know you're asking people to live the values all the time. Then aren't you? Yeah. You know, which is really powerful.
1: Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, just to add to that, is that it's not the executive team that choose which charity we work with. No. It, it's it's the business as a whole we choose.
0: Right. Yeah, you know,
1: at the end of the day, we also do sort of individual activities on a, on a week by week basis, a month by month basis, but we have one core charity we support every year.
0: Right. Now, that sounds really good. So I'm mindful of the fact we had Carers Week earlier this month, um, which obviously recognised that during the COVID 19 pandemic, there were four and a half million people who, addition, additional people who became unpaid carers um, almost overnight. Um, which, you know, I mean, I wasn't one of them, but I can imagine um, how hard that must be for people, especially if you've not planned it or you weren't expecting it. Um, But I know you chose um, to take in um, a mother and daughter who were at risk of being homeless. And I, yeah, would really like to know a little bit more about that and why you chose to do that.
1: Um, So this is something we've actually done before as well. Oh, So we a, a number of years ago we actually took in um a 19 year old boy into our home um effectively to to help him because he was actually living out of his car at the time mm-hmm. um and, and again it's people look at me strange sometimes when when this comes out if i'm honest and it it, it was never meant to be a grand gesture you know from from our perspective for from my, from my wife and i mm-hmm. so so the person in question. My wife got to know through her coffee shop. Um, I'd never met the two individuals before. Uh, we came back from holiday and we found out that, you know, she was going to become homeless because various reasons. I won't go into all the, all the reasons behind it. Um, so we invited them to, to live in our house. And for me, it's it feels like a normal thing to do. Might yeah. not, but it feels like a normal thing to do. Um, And I suppose when you see people in need, it's my, mind, my wife's and most people's nature to want to help. I could actually, you can actually see, particularly with the mother and daughter, you can actually see the mental anguish that the mother is going through because she wants to protect her daughter at the end of the day, wants to provide a stable environment for them, particularly because I think they they came to live with us in October last year. So, you know, run up to Christmas, very difficult, you know, all the rest of it. And I suppose it was just a natural thing for us to do. Uh, They moved out of here probably uh, three weeks ago. So once lockdown sort of, you know, to a degree started easing, they found a rented house and they have moved into that. We went over there for dinner, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And to be honest, it's like having an extension of the family, Um, you know, it really is. So my son who's 21, you know, you know, great was like a big brother to to the daughter. Um, so we have machinery. We've got tractors and stuff here at home. So he was teaching her how to drive tractors and stuff like that. So it's just a normal family thing to do, I suppose. Um, you know, and and at the end of the day, I'd always hope that someone would do it for me if I was in the same situation. Yeah,
0: um, I do get that, and I I and I think it's fantastic. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it's an entirely normal thing for people to do. I'm not aware of anyone else that's done it anyway. Um, but maybe that's just my social circles. I don't know.
1: Um, abnormal. <laughs> and don't answer that, Robin. Please don't know, don't no. answer
0: that. I'm usually trying to keep people out of my house. But anyway. <laughs> but no, and so just out of interest, how old was your son when you took in the 19-year-olds?
1: So he was, he'd be 12, 13 at the time.
0: That, oh, that's an interesting age, isn't it? To have a, an adopted brother for a period of time, you know, out of the blue, potentially.
1: Well, he was with us for uh, three, four years. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was an interesting time. Well, <laughs> I would
0: imagine that, that, you know, that instilled quite a lot of strong values into your child as well. You know, them, them being part of you helping somebody like that. I think that's great.
1: No, absolutely, absolutely.
0: So um, I want to take a couple of scenarios, if I may, because I quite like to um, dig a bit deeper on some of these things. And um, like I just test. think you
1: can, pardon? Just like a test?
0: No, no, <laughs> <laughs> it's, me, it's me kind of um, just thinking of a couple of scenarios that you know may, be, may absolutely apply to some of our listeners, you never know. And um, I just value your, your input and your wisdom around it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, So, Scenario A, then, is a fellow CEO, like yourself. They're at the helm of a business that is being severely impacted by some of their key customers. And the customers are basically saying that they're unable to pay at the moment. Um, But we're not convinced that that is actually the case. Um, In some cases, they're causing the CEO quite severe distress because they're making unreasonable demands on them to deliver. Um, But, you know, there's the threat of penalties attached to that if they don't but then on the flip side they're refusing to pay for the service so i just was curious as to what your advice would be in a similar situation or in that situation
1: okay um so a few thoughts to start with i suppose um it'd be interesting to understand whether the penalties actually work both ways so are the penalties for non-payment um and it's always, it's always difficult, actually, when, when you've got a customer like that, depending on how long the relationship's gone on for. If you're not getting paid for what you do and you end up being a busy fool, so yeah. actually, you know, are generating those sales, they're obviously not making any difference to your cash flow. Um, so reality, you're being a busy fool and actually funding somebody else's business. Yeah. Uh, the key for me would be to have a conversation with the other party. I don't know whether in this scenario, hypothetical as it might be, whether you know, you've know you had that conversation because if you actually outline to, to people, you'd hope, you know, people's good nature always kicks in. You have a conversation and to say, look, the fact that you're not paying me and we're actually doing a lot of work for you to very tight timescales, this is causing us difficulty. If, if you want to see us go out of business and therefore never supply you again, you're going the right way about it. Yeah. And it's actually having that honest conversation, yeah. um, you know, whether they're receptive to that is a different issue. Um, and I think once you've got through some of those and understood, you know, A, whether you can have that conversation, whether they, they're receptive to it, et cetera, whether you do, do then charge penalties on both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, the learnings from it for me are, one, it's obviously a difficult contract in the first place. Yep. And therefore, note to self, when I come to renew or rewrite it, I do something differently. <laughs> <Yes.
0: clears
1: throat> um, and for me, it is all about relationship. I suppose I'm fortunate in the fact that I'm in a business-to-customer relationship rather than business-to-business. And therefore, you know, when one customer doesn't pay for us, it's not great, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't impact the whole business. If yep. you're dealing on a B2B basis, where it's large contracts that your business is, you know, needs to survive as it were then it's a very difficult scenario to be in you know and I what you just outlined to me does sound very much like and I might annoy some people but how supermarkets necessarily treat their smaller suppliers because I do have friends working in one of the top four supermarkets and I know payment terms and the demands they place are very similar to that and the end of the day as a smaller business you have to turn around and say actually this is not the life I want these are not the customers I want to deal with I need to walk away from it it may yeah. cause me pain today but tomorrow it'll all be better yeah
0: that was you this time not me
1: <laughs> Oh, no, I know and I apologize <laughs> for that I have switched off my email account as well
0: <laughs> well no that's really great advice and I think what was occurring to me as you were talking is that you know it, it it's moving it from being a win-lose scenario isn't it to how can both of us get something out of this relationship absolutely. and that, i suppose you, you you know people discover who their who their good relationships are and which ones um aren't worth having i guess yeah you know, as long as it okay. doesn't put you out of business altogether by walking away from them again yeah um, absolutely okay so scenario b then um <laughs> and there are only two scenarios you'll be scenarios. <laughs> um so scenario b is someone who holds position of responsibility within the business But in addition to that, they have an elderly parent or maybe relative that they are caring for, or uh, indeed they may be isolated from them. So either way, they're really worried about the stress and responsibility of providing that care. Um, I just wondered what would be your top tips to deal with that?
1: So if I was the individual, um, I I suppose from my perspective, and because I do a lot of it anyway, it's always good to talk to somebody about it so the old saying a problem shared is a problem halved yeah. um, and you know if it's causing that stress, that stress and anguish then from a mental health perspective they're not going to be in a great place so they do need to find somebody they can trust that they can talk to yeah. and that they can actually get somebody else's perspective on it i suppose at the end of the day um you know and also from a business perspective uh you know they're a senior individual their work is more likely to be suffering on the back of this and therefore, whoever their line manager might be, depending on how senior they are in the business, will obviously notice that. And they need to be able to have the conversation with them to say, look, I'm under some stress at the moment. My work might not be up to 100%. Is there any, any support as a business you can give me? Yeah. So as an example, you know, what we would do you know, in our business is allow them paid time off to actually you know, get that support mechanism in place properly, whether it be through siblings or whether it be through other means. Um, and, and, and ask, you know, are there any other family members that can actually support or help you with or take some of the burden off you? Um, but the key thing for me throughout all of this is actually making sure that you talk all the time. Don't take the pressure on your own shoulders. Actually find somebody you can trust to have a conversation with, even if it's somebody independent and a third party uh, that you've never spoken to before because you don't feel comfortable about sharing that with friends or colleagues please just talk to somebody about it because you know so just talking can help believe me just take the stress away
0: yeah that's great advice um so as we move towards a close i think um i would be curious to know what your experience is both as a ceo of perfect home and also helper of the homeless um you know what that's inspired you to do either at all or to do differently
1: i suppose the key things for me particularly over the last few months one and i've mentioned it a few times already today is 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 mental health yes you know you know there's a number of colleagues who are not used to being at home 24 7 who may be either living on their own or whatever uh, and therefore may not recognize that they had mental health issues before but certainly now having gone through this process are signs of it that, that come through and therefore for me you know it's how you support those people and actually how we as a business as responsible employers actually support those people as well. The other bit for me is to get the right balance between work and home life. So I, I, I spend a lot of my working week away from home or had done previously
0: Yeah.
1: and you know I've done that for a number of years and, and the key bit for me now is actually getting that right balance between the work life and the home life and actually making sure that both are equally as important Yeah. but at the end of the day that you actually you know when you're in, in the home life bit the work does have to switch off I accept the fact that it can't be done every time but most of the time it needs to be and I think the other two or three things for me is to be open to challenge I as a CEO don't always have the right answers I the CEO I'm more than happy for other people to tell me you're wrong. This is how it could be done. Um, and don't be afraid to change, embrace it. And I've learned that particularly over the last 12 weeks. It's probably fair to say. Uh, and I suppose they're, they're the key ones for me, you know. And it's actually be yourself. Yeah. You know, don't be afraid to show your vulnerabilities to people. Be yourself. Yeah.
0: No, that's brilliant. I like those calls to action. Um, no, there's some really good calls to action for listeners there um is there anything else that you'd want them to take away from the interview or because that sounded like a pretty good list actually
1: yeah so three things i think i'd probably say okay This is gonna sound like um these are probably not takeaways but more of an old man's words of wisdom <laughs> 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 so and I, and I mentioned this one before uh things are all about constant evolution just to stand still you need to constantly move forward i think is one for me the second one for me is treat others as you'd hope to be treated yourself yeah and then finally as i mentioned i think in the one that you you know one of the scenarios we talked about it's good to talk yes i think they're the three takeaways for me
0: that's brilliant i love it really good so um Andy, if people want to get in touch with you um, after listening to this interview, um, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Help them if they do, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the best for me is probably my work email actually, um, which whether you can supply that yeah. as part of the link to this, rather than me trying to read it out with me, me ats and me dots and me cos and me UKs.
0: Oh no, that's fine, I will absolutely <laughs> do that. I'll, I'll include it in the links uh, I'll include the link in with the details in the description. Yeah.
1: more more than happy for anyone uh, if they if they valued anything I've said today, more than happy to, to, for anybody to reach out to me.
0: That's brilliant. So I've got one final question that you weren't <laughs> been expecting. Um, I wasn't
1: expecting any of them, Robin.
0: Well, I know, but this this not <laughs> expecting. Um, and this is it's a question that I'm I'm really interested in the answer to, so I'm going to be asking all my guests this, and it is. Um, for you which comes first inspiration or motivation and why
1: that is a difficult one actually to be fair i think for me inspiration actually um because that you know every day particularly when you're working in a business environment um particularly when you want to move forward things need to inspire you to do that and i think No, there's a lot of lot of people that inspire me and there's a lot of things that inspire me. And I think for me, I'm a self-motivated person anyway, so the inspiration bit is key for me.
0: Yeah. And do you think you can have one without the other?
1: Sometimes, but not always.
0: (laughs) Give me an instance of a sometimes.
1: So Sometimes not necessarily together. So, be, if you're a self motivated person anyway, yeah you don't need the additional motivation that goes with that because it just becomes part of your normal being. And therefore, the inspiration for me always sits separately to that anyway.
0: Oh, okay. So, you could be self motivated without needing extra inspiration. Yes. You mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now that makes sense. Thank you. Brilliant. So, uh, thanks very much. I really enjoyed having you on the show. And uh, yeah. let's speak again soon.
1: No, great. Thanks, Robin. All
0: right, take care. Bye
1: for now.
0: If you're inspired by what you've heard or you have any related questions, then do feel free to get in touch. I'd be delighted to hear from you. There are many more of these podcasts to come, as I'll be interviewing a different CEO, MD or business owner each month, all with an interesting story to tell and plenty of wisdom to share. So if you'd like to be included, make sure you subscribe via the Robertson Fox website. That's also where you'll find all the contact details. Until the next time, go well.